Well, good morning, friends. Welcome to the Plata Baptist Church. It's so good to see all of you here this Lord's Day. It's also good to get to adjust the microphone. So for any visitors here, my name is Travis Neesmith, as Chris said, and I serve as one of the elders here. It is such a privilege to get to share God's word with you this morning. We'll be in Philippians chapter 3. In particular, we'll be zeroing in on the 10th verse. Please turn there in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's one provided for you in the pew. But let me say, if you don't have a Bible, please don't leave before we can get a chance to put the scripture in your hands. As you're finding the passage, let me set some context. So, on Wednesday nights, when Garrett's leading us, we've been studying 1 John. But on other Wednesday nights, when Chris is leading us, we have been studying Philippians. And so if you've been here on any of those Wednesday nights where Chris is leading us, you should remember that Philippians is called the Epistle of Joy. Philippi may be the healthiest church that Paul writes to in the Bible. It's not to say Paul has no concerns. He is concerned for the unity of the church. He is concerned that this largely Gentile church watch out for false teachers. But in Philippians, Paul has many positive messages for the believers. The church seems healthy, and Paul encourages them in that. However, as we come to chapter 3, Paul has a different purpose in mind. He wants to counter the influence of the Judaizers, who apparently were teaching that the believers must get circumcised. These false teachers were seeking to take away the joy of the gospel by suggesting more is needed. To refute this thinking, in chapter 10, Paul writes one of his most autobiographical passages in all of Scripture. Now, friends, last week, March, Mark preached on Jesus' parables in Matthew about the worker who finds a treasure in the field and sells everything to purchase that field, and the merchant who finds a precious pearl and sells everything he has to buy that one pearl. In chapter 10, we see Paul taking exactly this perspective, putting these parables into action. I just want to highlight that, beloved, because I don't want you to ever doubt that God cares for his church. Brother Mark and I did not talk about our sermons at all. We did not talk about which passages we were going to pick. There was no coordination. Yet in God's providence, the sermon last week and my sermon this morning fit together perfectly. In fact, Mark quoted from Philippians chapter 3 last week. And if we look at chapter 3 here, Paul tells us how he pursues Christianity. And his pursuit, his pursuit, speaks directly to how we should pursue Christianity. And the fact that these sermons have been providentially arranged back to back hopefully reinforces the point for each of us. So let's turn to the text. I'm going to back up and start in verse 1 of chapter 10. Sorry, verse 1 of chapter 3. And go from there to verse 11. We read, In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, 
boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Brothers and sisters, I want to pause and just state, I hope you appreciate how the great apostle's mind is at work in this passage. He wants to strengthen the Philippian believers against the arguments of the Judaizers. But it is not just say, don't listen to these evil workers. And it is not just refute their teaching, refute their teaching abstractly. He employs a counterexample that absolutely destroys their argument, his own life which he normally is somewhat reluctant to, to discuss in scripture. But here he says, these guys want you to add Judaism? Who are they? Nobody had a higher claim to Judaism, Judaism than I did. And I consider all of that loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. In fact, I consider all of that to be dung compared to gaining Christ. They don't save. All of that, no value. Jesus does. So like in the parable Mark talked about last week, Paul is willing to give up everything for the treasure. He joyfully trades it for the perfect pearl. Which brings us to our verse. It is a verse about how to live having obtained the treasure. Verse 10 reads, My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So first, a couple of observations just to make sure this verse is clear. There are two people in this verse, the my and the him. The my is Paul. The goal is Paul's goal. And the him is Jesus Christ. Paul wants to know Jesus. The resurrection is Christ, as are the sufferings and death. Brothers and sisters, as we dig into this, I don't want you to miss this. Paul is telling us about the Christian life. In the previous verses, he's covered the negative what he gives up willingly for the treasure. All things are lost when compared to Christ. The best of things are dung in comparison. But now he's turning to the positive, what he gains, Christ's righteousness, and more, how we should live in light of having been saved by Christ's righteousness. He literally, explicitly, tells us the goal of the redeemed life. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. My friends, this is not a verse we should skip over or simply skim. Paul is sharing his goal for living in Christ. The goal, 
So the central point is really simple to state. Here it is. Christian, make Paul's goal your goal. Let me say that again. Christian, make Paul's goal your goal. Sometimes there are times in the Bible where we wouldn't put ourselves into the verse, into the scripture. But here, Paul's calling for the Philippian believers to put themselves into the same place he is, and we should do the same. Now, obviously, there's more to say. I will divide up the rest of this sermon to first, the goal, and second, the result. And just so you don't get too worried as I go on, the first point will be a good bit longer than the second point. So the first point, point one, strive for this threefold knowing. <clears throat> Let me say that again. Strive for this threefold knowing. Now I said the central point, really the overarching application, is simple to state. But it does not mean the goal Paul has is not rich. Paul breaks it up here into three parts. One, to know Jesus. Two, to know the power of his resurrection. And three, to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul's goal, the goal we should have, is to know these three things. But before we can talk about the three things, we first have to ask the question, what do we mean by knowing? It's the one verb here that applies to all three. Now, you might think this is an easy question. To know is a word we come across a lot, we use a lot. I know things. Honestly, the familiarity of this verb might be one reason we would not slow down for this verse in our Bible reading. We know what this means. Paul just wants to know stuff. Move on. But brothers and sisters, our modern understanding of the word to know is really inadequate here. We need to slow down and know what we mean by knowing. So let's spend some time on this seemingly straightforward verb. Let's examine it in the context of what Paul first strives to know, Jesus. Our study of the word knowing will apply to the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings as well. But let's talk about it in these terms. Paul says, my goal is to know Jesus. Again, our modern reading would see this as saying, Paul wants the facts about Jesus. But is that really all it means? Now, certainly that is part of knowing. We need to know who Jesus is, what he said and did. You need to be a student of the scriptures. But that can't be all of it. Think about who's writing this. It's Paul, the Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee. I'm willing to go out on a limb and say he memorized more of the Old Testament than all of us here combined, because it's possible he knew all of it. The best student of Gamaliel, taught by Jesus himself in miraculous fashion, an apostle, able to preach Jesus in the synagogue to the Jews and in Athens to the Greeks. And this letter to the Philippians is written from jail 30 years after his encounter on the road to Damascus. If all knowing Jesus meant was to have head knowledge about Jesus, then this is not a goal for Paul so much as it is an accomplishment. Who knows more than Paul about Jesus in terms of the facts? But brothers and sisters, the word knowing means much more. The Greek word, the ancient understanding, is much richer than just factual knowledge. Again, first, we do need that knowledge. But second, we need to know him relationally. Paul is striving not just to know about Jesus, but to know him as living Lord and Savior. 
We need to know him in a relationship. Commenting on this verse, J. Alec Motier said, quote, to know is to enter into the deepest personal intimacy and union. Adam knew Eve, his wife. The Bible speaks in this way, not through reticence on sexual matters, but because that is what marriage is, and that is what knowledge between persons is, deep, intimate union. Consequently, having been saved wholly and solely by Christ, Paul wants to enter into the deepest possible union with him. He wants to know him. Brothers and sisters, this should be every Christian's goal. It should be your goal, it should be my goal. Scripture talks of Jesus as the bridegroom and the church as his bride, at least in part to communicate how deep our relationship with him should be, how rich our knowing should be. And there is never an end to the richness of knowing Jesus. But even these two dimensions, the head knowledge and the relationship, do not capture all that is meant by knowing Jesus here. Paul also wants to know him experientially. The knowing of Jesus that Paul is after, the knowledge of Jesus that you should be after, is a knowledge that affects how you live. It's a practical knowledge that we put into work in our daily life. Let me, be trying clear, let me try and be clear what I mean, make clear what I mean. So, there's a difference between the knowledge of how to drive a car that you have when you first get your license and the knowledge you have after commuting in DC traffic for years and years. For all you new drivers or potential new drivers, I hope that is not news, that you will understand you need to be extra cautious when you first get your license because you don't know it all yet. But the knowledge brought by extensive practice is what lets you anticipate and react correctly to all the other crazy drivers out there before you're even really conscious of it. The secular psychologist Daniel Kahneman famously and insightfully identifies two patterns of thinking. Fast, where a person reacts quickly, usually based on some rule of thumb, and slow, where a person processes information more fully and makes a more thoughtful and even well-reasoned response. He finds that extreme expertise or knowledge, like that of, say, a chess grandmaster, for example, often manifests itself in the ability to respond quickly while still processing everything and making an informed decision as if thinking slowly. The Apostle Paul, after 30 years of serving Jesus, is still seeking that kind of knowledge of him. A knowledge so thoroughly ingrained that Paul's thoughts, his words, and his actions would be consistently in line with Jesus without really having to pause and process things every time. Let me give you another practical example. It is one thing, and I think we all know this, to know we are to be slow to anger. The Bible tells us that. And it's another for it to become part of who you are. So the head knowledge is good. When provoked, hopefully, Christian, you would, we would all pause and remember the truth that we know and be slow to anger in that particular incident. But if it's just head knowledge, we often fall short, we often forget, we often react defensively. But when the truth has shaped who you are, when it's really part of you, when you have the type of deep knowledge Paul's talking about, then, be to, then being slow to anger will be your default, your character, and it'll be evident in your life. Others will see it. My friends, we should be striving to know Jesus in these ways, to know who he was, what he did and said, to know all the scriptures because it all speaks of Jesus, to have a closer and closer relationship with him, 
and to have that knowledge evident in your life. It is of surpassing worth, as Paul just said. Why? Because the more you know Jesus, the more clearly you see him, and the better you follow him. My friends, do you know Jesus, who set aside his crown to become a baby? He is the one whose heart is gentle and lowly. He is the one whose burden is light. He is the one who can give you rest. Do you know Jesus who sits enthroned at the right hand of the Father, who earned a name above every name, the mighty Lord of Lords? My brothers and sisters, I encourage you to make it your goal to know Jesus, to strive to know him better in all three ways, because the more you know him, the more you will see his glory. What Chris was talking about, how he came from every glory to humble himself for our sake. And that will profoundly affect your life because you'll be seeing God in all of his magnificent glory. That's who Jesus is. Now, amazingly, Paul does not stop there with Jesus. He wants to know more. But before I go on, I want to pause. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, what I'm saying may not make much sense to you. If that is the case, let me just say we are so glad you are here with us today. Maybe you don't know much about Jesus, that you don't have that first level of knowing. That's okay, but please don't leave quickly after the service. Our church likes to spend time together afterwards, and there are plenty of members here who would love to talk to you about Jesus. Maybe you actually know a lot about Jesus. Maybe you brought up in a Christian home and have a lot of facts down. But all this relationship stuff, and even the idea of striving to know a man killed a couple thousand years ago, makes no sense to you. I would like to say to any of you in these positions, you don't know Jesus, but you can. My friends, Jesus is alive. The gospel tells us that Jesus is God himself, yet he put aside his divine glory to become a man like us, but without sin. He did this because of his great love for us and his desire to save us. You see, my friends, every one of us is a sinner. That means we fail to obey God in everything we do and in everything we fail to do. Because we are sinners, we stand condemned before God who is perfectly holy, and there will be judgment. And we can't save ourselves in that judgment. We are guilty. So Jesus became a man, lived the perfect sinless life like we should have. But, although innocent, was condemned to a horrible death on a cross. He did not deserve that death, but he went in obedience to God the Father for our, our sakes. On that cross, he suffered for our sins in our place. And he could be our substitute because he truly was a man. And he could bear the burden because he truly was God. He died and was buried. But the story didn't stop because he rose the third day, resurrected, and resurrected in power, which proclaimed that his sacrifice was acceptable, and now he's ascended into heaven. But he's coming back, coming back again to judge the living and the dead. If you don't know him, can you see why he's worth knowing? There's never been anyone like him, and there never will be. What love, what sacrifice, what a savior. Salvation is only in his name. It's only in the name of Jesus Christ. If you don't know him, please, please consider it. If you're here today and you don't know him as savior, 
You don't know Jesus, but you can. Don't wait, my friend. Confess that you're a sinner. Repent, which means turn from your sin. Confess that you believe he died for your sins, conquered death, and rose again. Surrender to Jesus as Lord of your life. And you can start knowing him. He will establish a personal relationship with you because he is faithful to save. That's just the first thing, knowing Jesus. I mean, we could spend an eternity on that, right? There's never an end to the riches. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to say something else he's striving to know, the power of Jesus' resurrection. And friends, there is more than head knowledge at play here again. I'm not sure anyone, or at least not many, had a more direct knowledge of the power of Jesus' resurrection. After all, he met the resurrected Jesus in his glory and was struck blind by it. I'm pretty sure that's something that you wouldn't forget, and Paul didn't, certainly didn't. And he writes in Romans 5.10, For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Paul certainly knows about the power of resurrection. Again, Paul wants a knowledge of the power and its working in his life. First, he wants to know its power in his life over sin. Romans 6.4 says, Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Paul wants to know the power of the resurrection because he wants to walk in that newness of life. It is natural for Paul to go from knowing Jesus to knowing the power of his resurrection. Paul knew about power. He was writing from a Roman jail where he was likely under a death sentence from the most powerful empire on earth. But he knew of a greater power than Rome, the power of sin. And brothers and sisters, the more we know Jesus and his righteousness and his holiness, the more we know our own sinfulness. We cry like Paul, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? But like Paul, we have hope because the power of the resurrection is greater than the power of sin. James M Montgomery Boyce summarizes this by saying, quote, Paul wanted to experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ over sin daily as he strived to live a holy life before God. Pa Paul wants to know the power of the resurrection working in his life to conform him to the will of God. And he wants every Christian to know it. In Ephesians 1, verses 18 to 19, Paul writes, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the mighty workings of his strength. Beloved, that is how we should strive to know the power of Jesus' resurrection. Finally, Paul's goal is to know the fellowship of his suffering. Again, this flows out of Paul wanting to know Jesus so deeply. He was committed to picking up his cross and following Jesus, no matter the cost. And we should be clear that Paul's desire to know the fellowship of Christ's suffering is not in any way academic. On Wednesday night, Christ, uh, Christ. On Wednesday night, Chris reminded us all how much Paul had suffered for Christ. Just the number of lashes Paul had received in his lifetime is overwhelming. And Christian, we should not expect that pursuing Christ, 
making it our goal to know him the way we have been talking about won't result in suffering. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, 12-13, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. And Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We've been somewhat blessed in our country, face maybe less persecution than other places, but we should not be surprised when it comes, in big ways or small ways. If you are a Christian, you should expect suffering. And what Paul's doing here is redirecting our attitude towards it. Jesus, his Lord, suffered. And our suffering in his name brings us closer to him, helps us to know him better, brings us into a fellowship with him. And the surpassing excellence of knowing Christ better means that that suffering is gain. But obviously it is costly, my friends. It is the cost of complete obedience, like how our Savior was obedient to the cross. So my brothers and sisters, I have to ask you, is it your goal to know Christ like this? Or are you content to have Jesus as an acquaintance? Do you, want, do you actually look forward to suffering in his name so that you can have that fellowship with him? Do you know him so deeply that your life is conforming more and more to him? And are you working hard to accelerate that process? Do you pray to know the power of the resurrection so that you can overcome sins more and more? Are you bold in your efforts to know Jesus, willing to suffer for it as needed? Or do you camouflage yourself so that the world won't target you? Do you view fellowship with Jesus as so valuable that everything else is done, even any suffering you endure? Paul is sitting in jail, expecting to die for his faith. And still, at that very moment, his goal is to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. His goal should be the goal of every Christian, of each of us. Beloved, make it yours. All right. So, big breath. That's point one. And again, that's the longer point. Let's talk about point two. The verse didn't stop at the threefold knowing. So point two, the result, being conformed to his death. Again, the result, being conformed to his death. This phrase sits a little oddly, I think, on our ears today. I don't know about you. I've seen a lot of bumper stickers and those cute little wall plaques a lot of us hang in our home with Bible quotes on them. I have never seen one that says being conformed to his death. What is Paul getting at? It seems in the context of the verse to be an outcome of the threefold knowing. But what is it? And what is our response to the idea that this is happening? Given its sort of odd tone to my modern ears, I, I looked at some commentaries. And mainly, they ignore this phrase. Many don't really focus on it. One said, this reminds us that being in Christ also means being in his death. These words have particular relevance to Paul, who faced possible martyrdom. Now that may be true, but it seems at best shallow and at worst speculative. Another suggested that being in, with Jesus in death is a necessary precursor to the resurrection from the dead. Certainly Paul talks about us being buried in Christ in Romans, and he's going to move on to the resurrection. But that understanding still seems lacking. 
I really think there is more for us to glean here. Brothers and sisters, because this phrase is connected to the overall goal of knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, I think it's helpful to recall some things we know about his death. It was God's sovereign plan. Jesus obeyed God even to his death. Jesus suffered and died for our sakes. In the midst of this terrible suffering, Jesus forgave those who tortured him. Jesus' faithfulness saved sinners, even one hanging next to him on the day he died. Jesus endured this suffering for the joy set before him. Jesus' suffering and sacrifice were acceptable to God. And Jesus was raised in power, and his name was glorified. My friends, if we are conformed to his death, will we not live the way we are supposed to? Will we not obey God, love others even at great cost to ourselves, sacrifice for them, have fellowship in Jesus' suffering so that others may have the same eternal life that we have? Will not any suffering we face, even the worst of suffering, fade when compared to the joy set before us? We want to know Jesus so completely that we are conformed to his death this way, so that other people see him living in us. Being conformed to his death is a way of living so that Christ is seen. As Paul says in verse 11, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. He is not doubting his eternal security. After all, this is the same apostle who wrote Romans 8 and Philippians 1. But the Christian life looks like being conformed to Jesus' death, looking forward to being conformed to his resurrection. The Christian life is to testify so strongly to the resurrection to come that it can already be seen. Our lives should be different, set apart, lived in obedience to our Father. One commentator put it this way. Paul is saying, quote, as I walk your streets, as I walk into your homes, as I walk into your stores, as I walk into your offices, as I mingle among the sons of men. I want to be so living for Christ, so outstanding for him, that you can see that I am a living one among the dead ones. Are you striving to know Jesus like Paul? Brothers and sisters, can this be said of your life? Could you be convicted of being a living one among the dead? Is knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering your goal so that you are being conformed to his death, so that his life in you is clearly seen? Friends, if you can't see yourself being conformed to his death, will others? If you don't see it happening, examine whether you and Paul share the same goal or not. Well, let me conclude. Christian, make Paul's goal your goal. Strive for the same threefold knowledge. Now, brothers and sisters, I am not saying that pursuing this goal will play out in your life just like Paul's. You're pretty unlikely to be condemned to death by the Roman Empire. But after all, he was an apostle. But it is like the story of President Kennedy asking a janitor at NASA what he was doing there and hearing the reply, I'm helping put a man on the moon. The janitor was not an astronaut, not an engineer, but he had the same goal. Make it your goal to know Jesus Christ and to know the power of his resurrection and to know the fellowship of his sufferings, striving to be conformed to his death. 
And brother and sister, look forward. On that day when you meet your Lord face to face, what joy you will have meeting the one you have faithfully and eagerly pursued your entire life. The joy when, like Paul, your goal is met in union with your Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the salvation Jesus purchased for us. We needed that so badly, and it is so precious. God, help us to live correctly in gratitude of that. Help us, help us to make it our goal to know Jesus, to know our Savior, to know the power of the resurrection working in our lives even now, to be willing to pay the price, any price, for greater fellowship with him, striving to run the race to meet our Lord face to face. Lord, I always confess the scariest verse to me in scripture is the, is the verse that talks about Jesus saying to someone, I did not know you. I'm so thankful that for all of us here, the members of this church, that is not true, that you know us, that you have saved us, that you loved us from the beginning of the world. I just pray you give us the power through your spirit to turn around and pursue you, to pursue knowing you that our lives might be changed, that we might testify even now to who we are in you and who we will be in you on the day when we are raised to meet you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.